This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 113 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. I am so excited about this interview today with Cassandra Williams from Educational Innovation 360. I've been doing a lot of work and research over the last year on finding ways to effectively serve school districts and really trying to figure out how to format the support that I'm giving, especially when it comes to professional development. This has been something that I've been studying for years because I know that when I was in the schools, it was always frustrating to get access to the mentorship support and materials that would help me be good at my job. And I always felt like when I would go to a seminar, I'd get really excited about all of the strategies, but then the support afterwards was always a challenge. So Cassandra and I just before even recording this interview have had a lot of conversations about that. So that's why I thought she would be an amazing guest for the show. 
So to share a little bit about this interview and the topics that we cover. So a lot of people know that supporting language and decoding are important pieces of helping kids grow up to be successful readers, but making it happen is way more complex than that. And you probably know that when it comes to helping kids be literate, there are so many other factors besides what's going on at school and besides what's going on in the classroom when it comes to just actual teaching strategies and intervention strategies. So what happens when we have kids who maybe they're in fifth grade, but they're reading at a first grade reading level and the teacher is used to teaching fifth grade and they have to learn to adapt. What if there are other barriers besides just reading getting in the way, such as scheduling constraints, classroom management issues, or just access to mentoring for the teacher? What if kids don't have access to books outside of school or other community resources, and schools don't have the funding to provide teachers and students with quality reading materials that they can take home or use in their classrooms? I wanted to get into all of these questions, and that's why I invited Cassandra to come on the show. Cassandra is a true innovator in the education field, having dedicated over 25 years of her life to revolutionizing existing systems and setting new standards of excellence. She has a degree in elementary education from Southern Illinois University and a master's from California State University, and she is the founder of two successful elementary schools in Indianapolis. Her research has focused on coaching teachers to accelerate student achievement, often utilizing video and other technologies as learning tools. And her most recent passion is the Educational Innovation 360 e-instructional coaching system, which she designed and developed in 2018. So some of the key takeaways that we discuss in this conversation are things like, what are teachers struggling with when it comes to teaching reading? And do they always know where they need support? And this is not just teachers. This would be anyone who's providing intervention and instruction. We also talk about how to make school libraries and district events more inclusive and culturally responsive to the communities that they're serving. We also discuss how we can make schools more inviting to parents so that they can take an active role in their children's education, especially if we're not really sure what kind of experiences they've had when it came to their own education. And then finally, we wrap up by discussing three essential components of effective professional development and why many workshops only address one of these components. So if you've ever felt like you weren't getting the support that you need when it comes to professional development, then you're definitely going to want to stick around for the entire conversation to learn about how you can connect with Cassandra, as well as a couple of my own resources that I'm going to be mentioning throughout this episode. So for now, please enjoy this interview with educational consultant Cassandra Williams. Today I'm joined by Cassandra Williams from Education Innovation 360. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Very excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I know that we have so much we could talk about, and we've already had many discussions peer-to-peer -peer just about business and education and all the fun things, so I'm really excited to, to chat today. So 
Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about you? What's your background? How did you get to where you are now? And what are you currently doing? Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Okay, so <laughs> so uh, born and raised in Chicago, moved to LA, started teaching elementary school. Uh, then I became a literacy coach, content expert for District 2. Then you never know where your life is going to end. You know, eventually <laughs> with your husband or your spouse, you're going to like do rock, paper, scissors to figure out whose career you're going to follow. So oh, yeah, <laughs> so we were following my husband and we were in uh, Kentucky. Um, where I worked as a faculty member supporting teachers and a practitioner approach. I would bring research into the classroom and see what that looked like. Um, and then we moved to Indiana. Um, Indiana, I don't know. I think it's our final destination. I'll let you know. Yeah. But <laughs> in Indiana, um, I opened two schools um, as an administrator, and I work currently for IUPUI as an adjunct professor in the College of Education, where I get to see kind of current trends, what's going on in education. And then I started my business in 2018, where I support literacy and teachers in the classroom with, you know, culturally relevant pedagogy, literacy, content, management, all the really fun things we love. Um, and so both my opportunity at my job and my business really works with new teachers and support netherlands and love for learning so much there you have such an interesting experience so actually you know we've we talked before and we got into what we were doing for our businesses and i don't think we ever talked about geography i'm from the chicago area as well but hey. but from the suburbs where in the chicago area are you from well, okay, I'm from Harvey. You know, people from Chicago say you can't claim the city if you're not in the city. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm from Harvey. <laughs> okay, yeah. But no, I understand because that's what I say when I say, explain where I'm from. Nobody's going to know where Downers Grove or Western Springs or any of those other suburbs are. So, yeah. So I'm not technically from Chicago. My dad is just barely, but. <laughs> we love you anyway. We love yeah. you anyway. Yeah, I know it's different. And I'm still from Illinois now. And it's so interesting because I live in the center of the state now. And people are like, oh, well, you're from up there. It's all Chicago. So if you're not from the Chicago area, everything is Chicago. And if you are, then nothing is. It's like, right. Because you're north of I-80 doesn't mean that you're in Chicago. You know I what I'm it. talking about. Yes, I do. I love it. Yeah. So, oh man, so many different experiences there. So, okay. Where do I start with all of this? You have some great information on your website. I wanted to get to some of those topics, but I'm curious when you're in there coaching and you're really coaching teachers. And I know that you have a background in literacy. I mean, what mm -hmm. are you seeing them need right now? What are the trends? Wow. Um, so there's a lot of teachers teaching with pieces and I see incomplete curriculum. Um, I see teachers pay teachers all throughout every piece of the classroom, yeah. uh -huh. the halls. Um, and I see teachers really trying hard, um, but not understanding, Not I don't even want to say not understanding, not realizing how hard it is for a teacher to go two to three grade levels down when they've been teaching fifth grade all their life, right? Oh, what does yeah. it mean to have a child to come into your classroom that is 
really reading at a maybe first or second grade level and you teach fifth. And I think that is the struggle that I am seeing over and over again. Like, how do I get them to uh, a fifth grade level when I I need to work on some of my tools, my scaffolding tools? Like, I need to go back to those classrooms to kind of see what can I do to bring them to the levels. And I think teachers are struggling right now with uh, the creating scaffolds from two to three grade levels behind to support their students in the grades. Yeah, that makes, um, that's such an interesting example that you just gave with fifth grade to first grade. When you think about what are you doing in first grade for reading and what are you doing in fifth grade? In fifth grade, you're probably focused on comprehension and interesting and all of that and putting it all together. And if you have a student who can't decode, well, I mean, you can't just give them more comprehension work. Right? Oh my gosh, that is a big deal. And I think now, since we've had that gap, which it makes me sad because, well, I love literacy, let me just tell you, but it makes me sad that we have gone away with other subjects. So I'm seeing full days of literacy. As, as much as I love reading all day, um, I think, you know, <laughs> we already have a three-hour block of reading for especially like K-3, but to make it an all-day thing and not to go over different content areas, I think students are struggling. Teachers are struggling. They know we have to fill the gap, but we some teachers are like concerned, how do we fill that gap? And sometimes leadership are not the best people to go and say, hey, how do I fill the gap and do this and do this? So I think teachers are struggling in silence. Yeah. Do you think that the leaders are just so overloaded that they they just don't realize all these different, very specific things that are going on? They are. And um, even some of the principals that I've you know worked with, they're just kind of like, look, we are to getting beat by these test scores. We have to meet our expectations. We have to walk our classroom. We have to do evaluations. And, you know, they're overwhelmed with their paperwork too, trying to get everything in with COVID and the rules. So I think they are overwhelmed. And then I think that was one reason why I started my program too, was it was very hard to be uh, a building leader and an instructional coach. So those were two different roles that principals had to carry how do you go deep with a teacher when you're um, really struggling to support 20 or 30 people on your staff? Um, so that's why coaching was so important. Yeah, that's really interesting because just when you think about all the different places that a principal's head is, you know, depending on it, it's interesting because I'm so again, I'm in central Illinois, a lot of the districts are smaller. So They don't necessarily have the same hierarchy where there's an assistant principal and a principal. And I've seen where sometimes there's an assistant principal who's more of an operations person. And then there's a principal who's more of a big vision person. Well, if you don't have both of those roles, you have to do both. And it's, it's like, it's like the employee evaluation is the IEP for school principals. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Mm -hmm. people realize that. And, you know, you're sitting there and I can just remember going through my evaluation with my principal and it's like, it's kind of like, boom, 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 get it done. And and that's, you know, like, I, 
I, I get it. Um, they have so many of them to do. It, it's overwhelming. And it almost felt like the actual feedback came and the unstructured things once we are done with the checking out the boxes of what we had to do. Yes. Yes. And it's unfortunate because I, I want to say, I, I can uh, say it to myself, like teachers are people pleasers and we, we want to do well. And we want to know that we're doing well. And we get that, like that thrill, that validation when the principal says, you know, I really like that you took your time on whatever, but you know, since principals are overwhelmed, I'm not seeing as much as that as I would like to. And, you know, some teachers are like, look, I, I'm not validated. I, I, I want to be in a collaborative space. And so um, we're kind of moving in different directions. So yeah. that's all. Okay, so I have a couple different thoughts where this conversation can go. So I'm thinking there's programming operating procedures, there's instructional coaching, and then there's the the tools and the materials. Because it's like, so people are using teachers pay teachers, yeah. and are they using quality materials in yes. their, you know, their libraries, their reading materials, their books? They That's probably the number one thing people ask me about. And of course, that's important, but then... But then what if you don't have the right schedule and services and the right structure and then the right um, person to coach you to do all of those things? So I feel like we could just go there one at a time. So you have a, if we go to the programming operating procedures type of thing, um, you have a, you have a, an article on your website about block scheduling and you were mentioning Mm -hmm. the issue of how we are going away from teaching these other subjects. I mean, not just the science, the social studies, but then these other vocational subjects. And obviously kids need to learn how to read and do math. Geography and everything else that comes with it. Yeah, (laughs) I can't tell you how embarrassing it is to play Trivial Pursuit because of the stuff that I don't know. I mean, besides that, just for functional reasons in life, why you should know things. So Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on block scheduling, how to, how it can be used to, to try to solve that problem, what you've seen done. Yeah. So, um, it is what it is. We all have to do block scheduling, make sure we get our recess in all the subjects, but I think, you know, we are competing with, you know, our digital natives, right. And they are tech happy and they love tech and rightfully so we can incorporate tech, but I think the attention span has changed with a lot of our students. So a lot of the things that I've been advocating, well, we know we have to have a three hour block, but what does that look like in small chunks? And Mm -hmm. it used to be this concept of you double their age and that's the amount of time they can sit or, you know, be in a certain space. But now I'm saying, you know, take their age, maybe add five to 10 minutes to that. And then think of what transact, what transition you could do. You move from the carpet to the board, to centers, to spaces, you know, outside, whatever it takes um, to kind of keep them engaged. You know, of course we know total physical response, hand movement, gestures, call and response, songs, dances, you know, how do we incorporate current trends, Twitter, you know, Instagram, even TikTok into our classroom to really keep students engaged. And for those small chunks, I'm talking about maybe 20 minutes max of chunks of content um, to uh, move the classroom to still keep things going. 
So you're saying that even if you have this big block of time that is your reading time, it's not 90 minutes of the same thing. It's just it's just arranged a little bit differently instead yeah. of saying every 40 minutes or every 30 minutes, we're going to go to a different block. Yeah. Yes. And I, I even think that once we kind of get in the hang of this, now we can think about differentiating instruction. Like when a student shows up, where do they go? Or maybe they're doing small groups right in the beginning of the day, or maybe they're meeting with your aide, or maybe you're doing whole group, but you know, it's a quick check-in. Maybe you're flipping the classroom. I think I would love to see more of that um, learning content across, you know, the curriculum and is not just, you know, ELA, you know, so thinking of how do we support independent learning and individualized learning and use technology in a way that will benefit us all. But I think we're not there yet. So yeah. I think that is the future um, we're not there yet. That does take some work to get in place, but I, I do believe that um, we're, we're changing and we kind of have to change with what, you know, the world. Yeah. So how do you see people doing things where, so let's say that you have students who need those skills where they're, they are very specific academic skills. It feels like, and you know, it's kind of hard to tell when you're seeing people's social media posts and headlines, what they really think about things, but sometimes it almost seems like people are going away from that. And I think that that is, I mean, you can't argue that having literacy skills and being able to read and write is going to serve you vocationally and in your life. I mean, you can't go away from that, but it almost seems like there's this shift to where we're yeah. going away from that. But at the same time, if you're only doing that, I do see the argument of we need to have real life experiences in school. We can't just, you know, have kids in school all year round and have them just, you know, not doing anything, any variety of activities, and then just going to summer camp for a week in the summer and calling that, you know, a varied experience. Like, how do we right. integrate that all year round and get those reading skills in? I think it just takes uh, just unique approaches. Um, but I I do believe we still need the five, you know, the components of reading, right? We I still know. need to incorporate that um, and to to a T. And I, I think we, you're right. I do think we've kind of gone away from that, but I, I would love to bring it back and to just bring it back um new ideas, new strategies, but we still need the strategies that we've had in place uh, for years, phonemic awareness, phonics, you know, fluency, yeah. all those great things. Uh, but I, I do think that there's been a breakdown, um, especially in vertical and horizontal planning. Yeah. Like, we, I don't see that as much anymore. Um, and we're kind of fending for ourselves in the classroom. Um, it's unfortunate. It's the reality. Um, and we do, teachers do the best they can in any situation. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by vertical and horizontal planning? I mean, are you talking more about the scheduling and programming aspect? I think more I'm talking about like what happens in first grade, what happens in second grade. Oh, yeah. What okay. in third grade to like what happens across the second grade. Um, yeah. I, I do think we're meeting, but we're not really talking. Of, we don't we don't do the same thing. We close our doors and we we're just on our own path. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah. And that, that's when you hear where it's so interesting, where it's like, 
kids get to third grade and the second and and they're like, well, what are you guys doing at second grade? What's happening here? And and it seems like there's this big gap and yes. vice versa. I've noticed that, especially when kids change buildings. It's like, yes. oh, we what are they doing over there? Yep. And it's the blame level? game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate yeah. that. But then also yeah. you've got to have across the grade level where it, people, you find that people are doing different things at the same grade level. So how can you even answer that question of what are we doing here in second grade or whatever grade you're talking about? Oh, yeah, so yeah, different yeah. things. I think, you know, I think what people don't realize is that with the, with the reading instruction, I hate when it's like, you hear this message of people act like you're torturing kids by teaching them to read. It's like, right. oh my gosh, it's okay to ask kids to be uncomfortable. There was this, I was listening to a literacy podcast the other day and someone said, there's this whole idea of like being engaged versus having fun that you don't have to be, it doesn't always have to be quote fun for it to be right. engaged. Sometimes we're engaged in something or we're doing something that's beneficial, that's going to make us feel good about ourselves and confident yep. that isn't necessarily fun. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like yes. we're not necessarily being entertained. And maybe that's right. actually the key to more, like a more fulfilling life. So, right. And then we do push our kids, right? We have yeah. the carrot and the stick. We know about zone, zone of proximal development. We understand yeah. that it has to be a little challenging and, yeah. you know, it's not always fun, right? But yeah. it is going to be a challenge. And, you know, a lot of our teachers are in the the grind of the every day, just trying. And so I, I really, I love that they're really trying. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing with literacy is that I don't think people realize that a little bit goes a long way. You don't have to do phonemic awareness for 90 minutes. You can do it yes. for 20 minutes, three times a week. And there, you know, that makes a big difference. And then yes. you can do your other stuff too. Your more project-based things, play-based, all your other stuff. You can. Okay. And I love, like, you're right. You can, you can, yeah. and it can be fun too, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I love it. Okay. So, um, so we're talking a lot about the scheduling aspect. So then there's the coaching aspect but with the, the leaders and the services that you provide, actually, why don't we wrap up with that? Because that's what you, I know that's what you, um, what you provide. So you have a lot of experience there, but I'm curious what other things need to be in place as far as materials, like, um, so you have an article about transforming school libraries. Yeah. I'm curious what kinds of things, when we're thinking about the materials that teachers have within those blocks, when we're thinking about books and just, offering kids a diverse range of exposure to yeah. things. Yeah. What are some things that you would recommend from that end? So <laughs> I really believe you need to bring in the community. Um, you have to talk to the, you know, the parents and the families, because they can add so much to your library, to your experience um, and to the kids experience. Um, there was one time I, we had parents come in to, like do poetry. Um, but like I said, it's a it's a, a team effort. It can't just be you alone in the classroom inviting the parent. Um, usually if the principal's on the board and the librarian is on board, you have volunteers, you can have poets, you can have artists, you can, you know, have a, not a wine and canvas, but a cookies and canvas, whatever it takes yeah. to invite the families, invite the communities. 
Um, but with that, the library is kind of the gatekeeper for knowledge. And yeah. you think of like what books are the, um, it's one thing to have the books on the, you know, how we have them on the shelves to display mm. all of this stuff. But it's another thing to have books come alive, like students come in and they're intense. Now it does take a little funding, but I think yeah. for a librarian to think outside of the box and think about how we can best um, support our students, how we can best support our teachers and just have a collaborative effort in really pushing the needle when it comes to literacy. Um, but I, I think it does take a collaborative effort. Um, and then, you know, as teachers and going out of your pocket, uh, a lot of our materials and our books are very expensive and they're very precious to us. So, yeah. you know, when we do anything with diversity, equity, or inclusion, like it, you have to celebrate your wins. Um, and whenever there's a win, celebrate that because sometimes it's it's very small and minute. You have to celebrate that and embrace that because, you know, sometimes when we change things on a massive level, it takes baby steps. Um, so if you want to change your library or you want to uh, invite families in, you know, you're going to have to have more people on board. Uh, but I do think any win um, is a win in the right direction. So, yeah, it almost sounds yeah. like you're saying that, you know, I know that sometimes there's these book lists where it's like, if you want to address these, these things or these issues, have these books in your library. And of course, that's helpful. But but then I always wonder with those types of things, how do you know that's going to be relevant to your community? I mean, yeah, yeah. that that's, yeah. it's probably good to use that as a starting point. But if you don't get feedback, and you don't have a process for continuing that to make sure that everybody feels like you're including things that are relevant to them. Yes, yes. A culture day, of course, that's the go-to, right? Something we do. But how do we incorporate the library? You know, how can a librarian be a part of that? How can we draw on different things? How can we go and contact the big library in town to bring in materials, artifacts, resources? Like there's so much that we can do, but I think it does take a lot of work. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, with the library. So there's a couple different things that I've heard as far as like buzzwords, topics. So there's on one end, the idea that if you just give kids access to books, they'll learn to read, which obviously we know that that isn't true. They they do need the phonics instruction, but we also do need to give them access to books because that almost seems more like it's a like an identity, a cultural, a habitual thing. So, yeah, you know, I agree. yeah. And sometimes I see that the books are kind of in captive of the space. So yeah, you can check these out. You can check them out to your classroom, but they don't go home. And I think, again, it's I, I feel like, wow, we can't take it home and share the knowledge or share yeah. literature. So some schools, they take it home, you lose them, it's okay, we got funding to replace. But there's some schools that are like, yeah, you take it to your classroom and it goes no further and you cannot take it home. So I think it it, it really, um, it's just like, what message are we send, sending to certain schools um, and who has access and who just doesn't? So, mm. yeah. Is that, do they have those policies because they're, they don't want to lose the books? I mean, what's, is it just because they have limited funding and they're like, we need to keep track of everything because we, we yeah. only have so many? 
both and right um so you know i go in fluent schools and i see you know books for everybody they could take it home if they lose it and eh, sometimes parents donate sometimes parents they can't afford it but they have funds right they allocate yeah. funds and then there's other schools who like hey this is our library and all the books stay at school you cannot take even thinking you cannot take your social studies book home you mm -hmm. know or your basil reader or whatever, whatever you're using, you cannot take it home. And it's just like, wow, okay, we're there now. Um, what do you do? Yeah. I'm going to take a quick break here and talk a little bit about the School of Clinical Leadership, my program for related service providers who want to take a leadership role in implementing executive functioning support. Some of the things that are coming up in this conversation are the need for mentoring across the day and the need to support educators in implementing strategies in their classrooms, not just through one-time trainings, but ongoing support. Many times, if we are going to change the practices and provide support for people who are supporting kids, that training and support needs to be ongoing. So if you are in a position where you are providing services for kids in the school setting, your role can go beyond just providing direct therapy. This is obviously a powerful part of what you do, but you can make an even bigger impact if you can figure out how to provide support across the day for students as well as the staff supporting students. And when you're thinking about executive functioning, it's essential that that support be across the day. And I show you how to do that in the School of Clinical Leadership. This is a program for people who are in a related service provider role and who want to emerge as leaders on their team when it comes to providing behavioral, mental health, and academic supports across students' day. So if you are a speech pathologist, a social worker, a psychologist, a counselor, an occupational therapist, and you're seeing that your students aren't generalizing because they're not getting supports across the day because services feel siloed off, and you wanna help your team start working together to support kids, then this program is for you. To learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're gonna to wanna to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. Yeah. I mean, what, what are some different options that you've seen to get around that issue of just making sure that people have access to books? Like if you can't take your books home, but you want to get the families involved and make sure that that's a part of their home environment, but then you're not letting them take the books home. Um, right. Because again, you're thinking about your your limitations and you want to make sure yeah. that you have resources for your classroom. Right. I mean, what do we do about that? I do not have answers for everything. <laughs> Let me just say, I, I guess it's good to just learn that it's an issue. Yeah, it is. And I think I, I'm a learner too. And I, I do know that sometimes, you know, when families are involved or when families understand this is issue, you know, you never know how, people come and show up and how they can support. Um, and, but with that being said, I don't have all the answers. I wish yeah. I did. I wish I can, um, you know, wave a magic wand and say, Hey, this is, we need to do better. Right. But it, it kind of is what it is. And we do the best we can in our schools and our spaces. Yeah. It's so interesting when you look at these, you know, the philanthropies and things like that, and you wonder, 
okay, how can I donate my time, my energy, my resources to causes like this and figure out, um, I don't know if you watched the show, Adam Ruins Everything. Have you ever seen that show? No, oh no, okay, no. So it's, he, he just, it's all myth busting. I think the very first episode that he ever did was the uh, why are diamonds valuable and like why are engagement rings so expensive? And it was a marketing campaign. Um, <laughs> it's like he, they just told us that diamonds were valuable so we <clears throat> believed it and now we'll pay more for them so that's probably the most famous Ooh. episode but he had this one about food banks and Ooh. how people are like oh I have these expired canned goods let me donate them to the food bank and it's like why why would you be giving that to people you know and yeah. he, he looked into what actually is helpful if you want to serve your community. And he said, the most helpful thing you can do for the food bank is just donate funds so that they can get what they need because then, because they know what they need for their community. And I think, I think volunteering time, that might've been something too. Um, that's something you can do. So I always, I wonder how that applies to books and libraries where it's, do you donate your old books? Do you donate funds for them to get more books I would think that it would be dependent on your community but um probably right. shouldn't donate your books that are falling apart right <laughs> and, I, I, and good things like people think oh I'm helping and it's like eh. I totally agree and then I think too it's it kind of reminds me of when I was a teacher we would always have I uh, worked in an urban school and um we would always have these fundraisers for students that were struggling and I'm like, well, we're struggling. So it's like donating, like giving, taking from the poor and giving to the poor. Like, you know, parents would tell me I don't have any canned goods to donate. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But my child will feel left out if they're not a part of the giving. Right. And so, you know, just we just have to be mindful of our population that we serve um, and yeah. believe that they will show up in various ways if we include them. But what I'm seeing now is we are not even including them. We we let them know something on parent-teacher conference and open house, but we don't fully engage them in the learning experience and what we're learning, what we're what we're struggles we're having. Um, you know, we need to really embrace our families and and even kind of see what they do, how we can highlight their services, um, how wrap around um, supports for our kids. I think if we really truly engaged our families. I think they will show up much further than, um, like I said, than right now what we have. Do you think that people either don't feel welcome or don't just don't know what resources they have available to them? I mean, are those two things that come up? So, right, who are the gatekeepers? Who's the one at the front door? And, yeah. you know, I wouldn't feel welcome either if I spoke Spanish, but there's nothing translated on the walls or anything, yeah. or the receptionist doesn't speak Spanish, right? Or, you know, you're watching something like Fox News in the, on, in the you know, the waiting room, right? So yeah. just thinking of how we show up at schools um, and just kind of being like extending ourselves. So I don't know what it is. It could be both and yeah. um, that teach, you know, people that come up, they don't feel welcome or that they're heard. And then we don't include them. Mm -hmm. We don't reach out to them before school starts. We don't get outside of the bubble and meet them where they are in different spaces. Right. Why do we have that parent teacher conference at the school? Maybe we can have it at another space or yeah. like a social event at another space. I think, 
I just think we we are so rigid in the way we do things. We're not willing to um, do things differently to serve a just different generation of population. Yeah. I think that's so interesting how we make judgments about what people, about people's parenting, about what they think about education, because they're, they didn't show up to a parent teacher conference or they didn't come to this event or they didn't do this. They didn't sign the form or the whatever. It's like, there's so many different reasons that that did or didn't happen. Like, are they working three jobs? Are they, do they speak the language? Um, Did they have a bad experience at school and they want to be involved in their kids' education, but they don't, it's not an environment they're comfortable or know how to navigate. I love it because I know a friend, a friend of mine opened the school um, in Michigan and they surveyed the parents were like, what would you like to see the school do? And a lot of the parents said, give us jobs. Oh, and out of everything, he was not expecting that. So he yeah. was like, oh, we'll do fundraisers. But so what he did was identify some of the local, the local businesses and said, Hey, if you're looking to hire, would you be willing to hire parents on the spot? We would love to. And he got about 10 people, 10 businesses to come and set up in the like gym. And then they had parent teacher conference. And they said, dress your best because there's interviews on the spot. He said that was the biggest parent teacher conference they had babysitting on site and they had you know interviews on site parents got hired and a couple of parents ended up working and volunteering for the school right so we have to really think about one how do we serve the families that we support the kids but how do we really truly serve the families um and i thought that was a brilliant example of how we can best survey the families or figure out what do they need and incorporate that into the school That's wow. That's such a great story. Like, I mean, just, I never would have thought to ask that if you just leave it open and ask people, I mean, you have so many assumptions about what you think people need. Yep. And like I said, I've, I've heard multiple, like just innovative ways people are doing things, you know, like um, we had a transient population in Los Angeles. We partnered with the local motel eight. We were able to get hotel rooms on a dime no questions asked, right? And so just thinking about our partnerships, our connections and our communities and how we can best help them, because if we help them, they will do so much more for us that, you know, they too want to, they want to see their child do well. And they know we love their children, but like I said, they will go the extra mile if they see that we're doing whatever it takes to make sure that their students are successful. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So like, it sounds It sounds like when you come in as an instructional coach, and that's where I thought this conversation was going to go, but there's so much more to it. I mean, so you almost have to tell the teachers, how do you teach reading? What's effective instruction for teaching kids to decode? But also they, in the back of their mind, probably have to be, there there maybe has to be some coaching on this kind of thing as well. Right. So I, I don't really go in with that. I just, I'm I'm a learner first, right? I go yeah. and observe. So they show me their classroom, they show me what's going on, and then I ask questions. And then based on the things that they want to, you know, of course, I, first when I walk in their classroom, I look and see on the shelves, what are they studying? What yeah. are they learning? Or what do they want to learn? And then I get that from them. And then based on where they want to go, I help get them there. 
Yeah. Um, and so, and I pull out some resources or, you know, do the research and figure out who's doing something similar to that and get models for them to, you know, and I break it up like we scaffold. I break it up. It's like, hey, if you want to do that, here's the way to start. Let's do this first and let's try and incorporate it, see if it works and tailor it to our classroom. But that's pretty much what I do when I work with teachers. I listen, I learn, and then I take their idea, break it up into scaffolds. And it's mostly about what they want, but then it's a little about what they need. If I see yeah. they need classroom management, I'm like, oh, okay, in order to get there, we have to get this down first. Um, and I just give them baby steps necessary on what they need. And then I basically kind of see what the whole group, what all the teachers are struggling on. And then the professional development at the school site is based on the needs of the school, as opposed to me just going and doing a PD and it not being relevant, you know? Yeah. So when you get, when you're trained as a school administrator, is this, this whole idea of scaffolding for your staff and scaffolding in the way that you support your staff, is that something that was part of your training or is that something that you've had to go above and beyond and learn about? No, I think Karen, you, we do that as teachers. Yeah. Right? If you right. are a teacher, you can break the hardest content material up into baby steps. If you can do that, you can pretty much teach anybody anything. Um, so it wasn't in my training. Most of my administrative training was like, hey, how do we budget? How do we balance? How do we make partnerships? Um, and how do we keep the building down you know, like hold things down at the yeah. Building. So it wasn't about like thinking outside of the box or creating scaffold for people who struggle or even creating a, a teacher pipeline for how do we get new teachers? Like it wasn't on that. I think with teachers, we're so innovative and we could do so many things. Um, and so that's a, a skill that a lot of people don't have if they, you know, yeah. haven't taught. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it It seems like a lot of people, there's so many different facets of it when it comes to figuring out how to support people who are in the classroom, because it is the scaffolding, and it is a little bit different with adult learners, even though there's yes. so many parallels, and it is. it's like, it seems like we have amnesia when we, when we create professional development. There's all this, you would never expect a, a bunch of first graders to sit there for a lecture, or I don't know, maybe some people do. Um, but then when we go and plan PD, it's like, come lecture for two hours yep. and leave, Yep. yep. <laughs> which yep, I get yep, it. Yep. You, you got it. You have a big schedule, you have a budget, you want to get it done. And it's, and you also have people have hours that they need to make. That's true. And then the thing is, it's, we, of course, we know we can't just sit and get, we know that, but it's still happening in practice. Like I always say, I always like to schedule at least two accordion activities, right? Think, pair, share, stop, jot, draw, some type of activities. Um, that and taking things from big picture as opposed to base level. Yeah. Um, we yeah. know there's so many ways you could teach phonics. You could teach phonics, you could teach different, you know, but I think understanding, that's one thing I pride myself in. There's always one more than one way to do something. Um, and if we work together, I'm pretty sure we can find various ways um, to do this similar things. Yeah. When you're thinking about when you're going in and working with the school and figuring out how to support them from just providing professional development, 
What different models are you using with the way that you deliver your services to make sure that you're meeting everybody's needs and, and scaffolding? Sure. So one, I pull data. Um, I ask uh, for data. Um, we usually use their NWEA data to kind of see where they are. Because mm-hmm. there's always a great picture on, oh, we're doing so great, right? And then there's two pieces. There's the data. What does the data show? What is what are the what are the walls saying? Like what is the culture in the school? Um, because there, you know, you can't suggest certain things if the culture is one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the schools I went to was a, a Catholic school. So I know already my parameters of supports, right? And so even thinking of that, so culture, the data. And then the third thing is interviews. You have to interview all the people who you're serving because you want to see what would be a good strategy. You don't want to just go in there and do a strategy without asking people. So yeah, I yeah. tell them, I ask them three questions. I meet with everybody and say, hey, what, you know, what, what are the, why do you love this place? Like, why do you show up every day? And then they kind of highlight the great things. And I say, if there's you know, one thing like magic wand to fix one thing that is really not working in the school, they tell me. And I just take notes or of course I'm taking notes because they're like, am I going to get in trouble? Or, you know, um, um, and kind of say if there's the one thing that, you know, you can bring to the school that would make it a better place, what would it be? Um, and then students just, you know, teachers will tell me like, I would like to have project-based learning. I've been working on it. I really want it into my school. And then, like I said, if you have maybe five teachers that want to do project-based learning, you have the the foundation for a possible project-based learning school. Um, but, you know, like I said, I asked that and I talked to the principal, see what they want, what are their goals, and then I go from there. Um, and then, like I said, I just go from there. We watch the videos, coach cycles, and then feedback and debrief. Um, but yeah, throughout the year, my ultimate goal is if we have done a good job, at education on the basis of 360, then our test scores will go up. It's not something I brag about, but it is what it is. If we're implementing great strategies, then we will see the results in both teacher morale. Teachers will feel better about coming to school. Teacher retention, uh, we've had a 98% teacher retention rate. Um, teacher effectiveness, efficacy, everybody gets exactly what they want at the same time and you know because they're getting what they need. And, you know, they're happy to be there because they are, they feel like they're being heard. So I, I really love what I do and I enjoy working with people. That is, it's so interesting how you, you have these different types of service delivery. So at the beginning, the research, the what I would say in the school administrator world is probably called program evaluation where <laughs> what's going on. And then you have the training aspect where here's the information that I'm giving you, which is where most people's professional development pretty much is, is just the training, which Mm -hmm. there's that. And then there's the implementation and then the coaching and the feedback. There's all these different pieces that need to be in place for actually uh, for a change to really happen. And a lot of times when people do professional development for staff, they do one of those things, which is here's the information. I mean, how do you even know if I always feel so weird when, when districts are like, come talk to us. And I am, I have this presentation that I did for this one school. And then I'm going to come in and do this presentation for another school. And I don't really know that much about 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, you can talk to the person when you're booking, when they're booking you, but that doesn't really give you an in-depth understanding. And then sometimes you don't hear from them afterwards and you're like, right. Was that good? Did you like it? Right. <laughs> well, my feedback form says it was great, but are you going to call me back again? Oh my oh, God. I now know. you're getting into the entrepreneurship part of it. <laughs> oh, I know. And then again, like it's so on my end, it's so hard to know and to, to be like, am I reading into this or are they just really busy? Which is probably the case 99% of the time, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh. Or like it was one time I did a PD. Uh, it was so hot. It was summer, one of the summer PDs. Clearly, I walked in, the teachers looked like they did not want to be there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it was like three minutes. I was like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? You know, because I see you guys look like you don't want to be here. You know, just, <laughs> just call it the out. elephant, call it out and kind of see where they were. And they were like, we were supposed to have this day off, but my principal, our principals made us come. Now it's like, whoa. So now how do you serve? a group of teachers that really are, don't want to be there, right? And I think that's a part of the entrepreneurship piece that we have to deal with. What are we going into? And uh, how do yeah. we change the dynamic, even though it's, you know, the elephant in his room is saying like, I don't want to be here. So what what does that look like? But I think, like you said, it's from the um, the lens of a 1PD uh, training. And that's something we all have to do. So I understand. Yeah. Oh man. I, I can just think of so many of those, you know, when they're, it's, it's the beginning of the school year and we're doing PD days and there's some presenter who's clearly really knowledgeable and the teachers are so worried about getting their classroom set up that they can't even yes. concentrate. I remember when yes. I was doing my student teaching placement, uh, well, I guess for me, it was called my clinical externship because that's what we called it in speech pathology. And there was this this um, woman who was presenting on writing and and then all the teachers were sitting there at the table and they're like, she she clearly really knows what she's doing, but I don't even have my name, my kids names on my desks yet. I can't even focus on this right now, you know, and they they were kind of like they kind of felt bad for her because she was put yeah. into the situation where nobody's really paying attention to her. And also they're not getting the information that they probably could use in their writing instruction. Yep. And then, like I said, what, what happens next? Is the principal going to follow up to see that oh, they're I know. strategy? Yeah. Probably not. Right. And so that, that's another hard piece. Like you want me to come back, but there's no follow-up. So how do I check to see if this is even a thing that they're doing? Yeah. But, so, yeah. I have a hard time with um, where, you know, if you do offer services in an online format as well, which I know you, you do that as well. Um, but where, you know, from doing that, all the different questions that are going to come up and there's no way you can get to it in one hour, two hours, three hours, six hours, even when they have you do a full day long thing, especially when it's those six hours. I mean, you're fried after that. and. Um, you know, I, I just, I think about all the questions that are going to come up and then it almost makes you look bad because they didn't get the results, but there was no way everybody in that situation was, was not set up for success. No. And, and it's um, also not really the school leader's fault because they're, they have so many constraints that they're operating under as well. True. That's true. And then the, the, the lonely sped teacher, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And I, I just, I'm just, I'm like, wow. You know, and she's like, well, how does this, I'm like, okay, let, let's just talk personally on that one because, you know, I'm pretty sure the SPED teacher, all the teachers, they're like, how does this apply to me? What can we do that's, you know, helps me out? Why am I the only person that's attending these mandatory meetings that are, I'm not getting service? Uh, yeah. So that's another piece to it, so. Yeah, that is uh, definitely something common that comes up with among the the discussions among the related service providers, um, psychologists, social worker, SLP. Now, and I found with some of the other ones, they're not even really included in the district, like the OTs that just float around. And a lot of times they're like where I was, and I guess it depends on how big the district is. But mm -hmm. if you're in a small district, they will hire people from the co-op. So the OT will work from the co-op or you'll contract them from another district contract. and they're not yep. even employees. So they just <laughs> pop in twice a year. They don't even really know what's going on. They're not really a member of the team. And, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of hard for them to feel included, but yeah, I know the feeling of how does this apply to me? I don't know. I think I would just get so bored that I would always be like, Ooh, something different to do today. Something new to learn about. That was my mindset. But I get that when you have all these things that you have to worry about and they're throwing another thing at you, it's like, this doesn't seem super relevant. So, yeah, I yeah. think an, another big thing I've seen, it's so funny that, Hey, you have this new idea you have to try, but you don't have all the pieces to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you like what? <laughs> So I, I I love ideas and I'm always um, an advocate of PD, but I'm like, if we don't have all the pieces, then you want us to carry this out anyway? Like, yeah. so yeah, that's frustrating for teachers. I find that people have, there's like one of two reactions. There's the deer in headlights, total <laughs> overwhelm kind of a thing, which I think that sometimes I do that to people unintentionally because I get excited and I start talking about all these different things or people get super excited. And there's that initial, like, I'm going to change the world on Monday and I'm going to try all this stuff. And then they get in there and get busy and they yeah. inevitably hit those roadblocks that are totally normal where you would need a person in there to help you and scaffold. Yeah. And then yeah. they get stuck and then they don't implement it once the initial excitement wears off and they go back to their old thing. There you go. I was, I was usually in the second group, but occasionally I was in the first group. <laughs> Depends on the mood. That is oh. hilarious. You were so right about that. Those are the two. Yep. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. Um, I I know we're getting to the top of the hour. So, um, and I feel like we could keep going on so many different oh topics, yes. but where can people learn more about you and the services that you offer? Sure. So you can go to educationalinnovation360.com. Um, I can even be, you can Google me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you want. So I am always here. Um, my name is Cassandra Williams. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can connect me with me there. I connect with everybody. And I'm just available anytime you guys need. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So you and you offer direct PD for schools, but you also have a program that people can sign up for as well if they want support with literacy. Yes, if they want one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, that's I'm your person. But you know, like I said, some teachers they the district pays for it. So why not let the district pay for it? So yeah, I mean always it is professional to, ask to yeah. see if they'll cover at least some of it. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. It was fun. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for being on. 
Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you to check the show notes and learn more about where you can connect with Cassandra. Definitely check out her website at educationalinnovation360.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. She has some great articles on her website and also you can learn more about her professional development programs for schools and individuals. Also, please remember to check out the School of Clinical Leadership if you are a related service provider and you want to take a leadership role in providing executive functioning support for your caseload. To learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. If you have an idea for a guest for this show, if you know someone who is providing innovative solutions when it comes to clinical or educational leadership, I'd love to hear your suggestions. Just email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com if you have a suggestion for a guest on this show or if you are interested in being a guest. As always, it helps me so much if you leave me a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave me a review and let me know about it. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.